Hi, and welcome to Yes Please, your go-to podcast for all things sexuality, pleasure, and orgasms. I've named this podcast Yes Please because that's how I want you to feel about all things sex, pleasure, and orgasms. Yes Please, and more. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here and that you want to learn more about how to experience more shameless pleasure, deeper satisfaction, and ecstatic orgasms in your life and sexuality. And I hope to inspire you to feel that you can embrace and celebrate your sexuality all throughout your life journey. This podcast isn't just about sex and sex education, however, it's about so much more. Personal growth, living a radiant and confident and authentic life, radical joy and expression, and general fucking goodness. I'm your host, Erica Alsborn, and I'm a sexuality teacher and expert, sex and birth coach, but you can think of me more as your BFF who you love to talk to about sex and all the intimate things you don't feel comfortable talking about with anyone else. I celebrate the vast and diverse human, erotic and sexual experience, and I embody a deep shamelessness when it comes to sex in all its different expressions. However, having said that, I'm a straight, able-bodied, cisgendered woman, and in my work I specialize in female sexuality, and I work with women with pussies and while I have a broad and liberal approach to sex and a very extensive training, my knowledge is limited by my own lived experience as well as the focus in my professional work. But I hope you'll learn lots here with me. Expand your idea of what sex is and can be and mean for you and even though I'm an expert on this topic, I'm not an authority. Everything I share is always a suggestion, not a must. So take what resonates and leave the rest behind. I'm always open to receiving your constructive feedback so don't hesitate to reach out if you have any. Okay. Hi and welcome again. I'm delighted that you're here and now let's dive into today's topic. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the pod or welcome to the pod for the first time. If this is your very first episode, I am delighted that you're here. And what you're going to learn today from Kate is life-changing information. And it may be a bit hard for you to swallow it, literally, like pun intended, um, because we're talking about food and the type of food that you put in your mouth and the impact that has on your gut, vaginal, and overall mental and like general health. And so you're in for a treat today. This could very well be my favorite guest episode ever because Kate is just so incredibly educated and knowledgeable and wise on her expertise topic. We talk about the link between what you eat, your gut health, your overall well-being. We talk about why meat matters in your diet and in your health. We talk about biology and psychology and disease and healing. We talk about vagina and gut connection and We talk about how to really think about food as medicine. So it's a very, very interesting and thought elevating and possibly triggering conversation depending on what your particular opinions are about eating meat or not eating meat and where those opinions of yours come from. But I I recommend you to listen to this episode, regardless of your current diet and opinions about food or not eating meat or not, and just listen with an open heart, an open mind, and see, is there anything in what Kate says that resonates with me that could contribute to the 
improvement of my health and well-being. And remember, everything I or a guest say on this podcast is always just a suggestion and it's always an opinion, right? It could be a very informed and educated opinion, but it's still just the individual opinion, right? The opinion of an individual. And so you can disregard it and say, no, thank you. That does not apply to me. I am choosing a different path. I am choosing to form my opinion from other information that I resonate with more deeply and that I find to be my and embodied truth. And so, yeah, take it or leave it. Honestly, I don't give a shit. <laughs> but what Kate teaches and what uh, Kate says has made an incredible positive impact on me and my health and my well-being. And so I think it's a shame not to help spread her work and her word to a bigger audience. And in particular, my audience, because I care about you and your well-being, your fertility, your reproductive health, your vaginal health, your overall general health, your mental health. I care about you feeling well and being happy. And so it's from that place that I share Kate's wisdom with you in this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And again, you choose if this is something that you want to implement in your life. Enjoy. Hi, Kate. Welcome. I'm so excited you. that you're here. Yay. Me too. <laughs> oh, I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you ever since I heard you on Kimberly Ann Johnson's podcast. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. And then I started following you. I started doing some of your uh, recipes, meat stock and, and other things and started eating oysters and liver and like such juicy things came from that initial like encounter with you. So I'm so excited to pay it forward and let my listeners get in contact with you and get to know you. And I'm sure this conversation will be so meaty, fleshy, juicy, maybe possibly like challenging, triggering for people to hear because it's, um, well, we'll get into it. So yeah. without further ado, I want you to just take a moment and introduce yourself and share with the listener a little bit about yourself, the journey that led you to being here and doing this work and also describe in short, the work that you do. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. My name is Kate. I'm also known as Wild Nutritionist on Instagram, and I work with food as medicine for really the birthing continuum. So I help people prepare for pregnancy. I help people uh, make pregnancy easier with food. I also really support the transition from breastfeeding to solid foods for mamas and babies. And the whole focus and essence of this is centered around gut health. And gut health is a root cause of many of our chronic symptoms today. And so I really explain a lot of what I talk about through the lens of gut flora. And I started on this journey because I had mental health symptoms when I was a young, in my young 20s, so 21, 22, even in high school, mental health was, it was a really prevalent theme. There was a lot of anxiety and depression in people around me. This showed up in my family as well. And I really had a very strong point of view that the body could heal anything. And this came from my history as a dancer. So I actually went to school for dance. I got a BFA in dance and I used dance to work in community with people. I worked in the juvenile justice center for three and a half years. And I worked in women's prisons and I 
saw how expression and moving emotions and using art would help people heal and recover. And so it just didn't fit into my worldview to use like a medicine to solve anxiety or depression. And so, of course, also being connected to my body through dancing, I saw a very clear correlation between what I ate and how I felt. And so it just made sense for me to continue to explore this. And I met an acupuncturist in this town where I was living at the time in Gainesville, Florida. And this is where I became a locavore. So I learned all about like sourcing local food and eating wild boar and meeting my farmers. And this acupuncturist helped me even more connect the elements of food and how this can help you heal. And I start to see my body change. And then I moved to Seattle, Washington. And at this point I had been eating all grass fed and finished meat, pastured meat. So I went to the market and I tried each one of the meat from the farmers. And then after I picked the one that I liked the best, I went up and I asked for a job. (laughs) And I said, Hey, I really need a job because I really want to buy your meat and I need to trade for this meat because I can't afford it. And so she was like, okay, turns out this woman, a rancher in the Northwest, she's pretty uh, infamous. She's been at the Seattle market for many, many years. And she connected me to chefs and just being at the market with her. She really took me under her wing and mothered me. So beautiful. And then I became a private chef, which was like a whole kind of tangent, but I really honed my cooking skills. So I did that for five years. And during that time, I had a lot to prove to myself and to this person that I was working for, a very wealthy person in Seattle. And we had a great time together. And in that time, I went to nutritional therapy school and I became a GAPS practitioner. And I left that job. In the meantime, I was preparing my body for pregnancy. And now I've had my first son. My husband is a butcher. He's also a nutritional therapist. So we have this business called Regenerative Cooking School where we help people source local, use the food around them, make use of the harvest all year round, and really teach the physiology of the body, help people understand why certain foods help you heal. And it's like no nonsense nutrition. You know, I've been saying that lately, like it's not fluff, it's ancestral, it's traditional. It makes sense and it feels good. And so that's what I like to share. And especially around the mothering continuum, because I feel I've always wanted to work with mothers. I've always love connecting with women. And I think that we're such an under-supported population. And so to come together around food and to help people connect the dots with what foods help you heal, it's just been so many years of lost ritual and tradition. And so I love to reconnect people to their lineage through food. Mm. Yes. <laughs> a fun and exciting journey. And I'm grateful for the work that you do. And I definitely feel this beautiful simplicity in your work and that no nonsense and that it's just so real and like grounded, like close to earth, like that kind of like no nonsense. And <laughs> I'm going to ask you some follow-up questions on that. But firstly, I just want to mention or sort of yeah, spin off of what you said around lineage and mothers being unsupported. Because one of the beautiful things that happened after I gave birth was that mm-hmm. my husband is from Iran. So he's, you know, Persian living in Sweden. His mom and his grandmother are here. So we have 
you know, family here. And after I gave birth, they would bring me food, right? They would bring me this particular food because this is what we give to the woman when she's given birth. And they brought this particular food and they brought heaps of food. Right? It wasn't just like, here's a plate. It was like, you know, bags and buckets Best, of food yeah. and just like eat, 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 mm. eat woman. You need to eat, get fat, you know, like fatten up. You need mm. so much energy. And also through that, I mean, I get a bit emotional just thinking about it, but there was so much love in the food as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So it wasn't just the, obviously, I don't know if we can eat love, if it makes a difference, but just the vibe was there. And that was so, so, so special for me. So I just remembered that through what you said. So thank you for reminding me. Yeah, that's so special. I mean, the food in the postpartum time is one of the most powerful times to eat in a nourishing way. And there are a lot of actually intact traditions still around the world with this. And so you got to experience that. And that's so wonderful that they came and they dropped it off and they hugged you and, you know, held you through these warm, nourishing foods. And I am absolutely a proponent of educating people around this because it's not happening in all places and it really should be. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit more about the gut. How does that impact mental health, physical health? You mentioned something about a lot of our modern chronic health issues that we experience. Could you speak on that a little bit? Yeah. What is the issue with that? Like, what is the gut issue that most modern people experience in the West? And what's the solution? Yeah. So in simple terms, I like to talk about it in two sort of tracks. The first track is the actual gut lining, which is one cell wall thick. And it is where our microbiome resides, the majority of our microbiome. So we have this one cell wall thick lining. And because of stress, toxins, processed food, pesticides, medications, this lining becomes breached or permeated. And that is what is called leaky gut. So now instead of food that you ingest, instead of it saying inside your digestive tract, it is leaking into your bloodstream and wreaking havoc on your immune system and other systems of your body. This becomes stressful, right? Because we're not assimilating our nutrients properly. And we've gotten assault on the immune system on the liver because particles are now flowing in and out of the digestive tract where they're supposed to be intact. Okay. So leaky gut is a very common modern problem. And most people have leaky gut. It's just like something that happens very easily, actually. And in order to remedy that, we need to rebuild that gut lining. We need to close the holes of leaky gut. Then there's this other part of the picture where on that lining, there is a mucosal layer. And within that mucosal layer is what resides our microbiome. So the microbiome is a highly organized world, trillions of different species that need to be working for us, not against us. And what that means is that all of the opportunistic or pathogenic microbes need to be kept in check by beneficial or probiotic strains. So we need more probiotic strains ruling the digestive tract in order to have our health, in order to assimilate nutrients, in order to even create nutrients. The gut flora makes vitamins and neurotransmitters and hormones. It makes specialized enzymes and active compounds that help us to digest our food, create fuel for our brain, 
create hormones, right? And this lives inside of our digestive tract. So imagine if you have leaky gut, you have food particles that are going in and out of the bloodstream when they're not supposed to be. And then that is creating an opportunity for pathogenic microbes to grow inside of our digestive tract, overrule the beneficial microbes, and that's creating a cascade of problems. I can keep, you want me to keep going? <laughs> I love it. Do you have any questions so far? <laughs> so I think that explains the, like the basic understanding of it. Yeah. And it just, you know, when I first heard about this and I don't know when exactly it was, but like the, the gut is the second brain and right. like the, the brain gut connection and things like that. I think I, I just dismissed it and I didn't really believe it. Um, right. But more and more, like the older I get and and when I started having symptoms, right? Because I mean, you don't have to care about something until you have symptoms and then you're like, oh, shit. And a pill doesn't help. Oh, shit. Okay, what do I have to do now? So I had been living the majority of my life just literally putting anything into my mouth and thinking it does not impact me. It's just energy, right? It's just calories. And this thing that happens inside my belly, I, I mean, I, I never gave it a thought. So when I learned more about this and when I heard from you talking about this so much and just how essential gut health is, I was surprised. I was a little bit overwhelmed uh -huh. <laughs> and, and also feeling hopeful. So if there's one thing I've gotten from you, it's like you hammer out the message of meat stock. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. So I also just want to say one thing about the gut brain yeah. connection, because this is an epiphany for me too. So yeah. the gut and the brain are literally connected in our enteric nervous system through the vagus nerve. So microbes travel from the gut to the brain constantly. This is a way that they communicate. It's not just microbes, it's also neurotransmitters and hormones. And so I've, I heard like so many times, oh yeah, the gut and brain connection. But until I saw the connection literally through the nervous system in an image, that's when it really landed for me. And if you look at the tissues of the brain and the gut, they really look very similar. So some wow. people are even saying like the gut is the first brain and there is so much creation, like in order for our brain to work, the gut has to assimilate and create nutrients for the brain. And so in that sense, it does seem like our first brain because if the gut is not functioning and the gut is not properly assimilating nutrients, we are going to be having issues in our brain. So meat stock is a foundational food for healing the gut and it's different than bone broth. Meat stock is made always from a meat and bone, usually connected. So something like feet, necks, a joint, a wing, a shank, Anything that has connective tissue, connecting muscle, flesh to the bone, that's what we want because that breaks down into a collagenous and gelatinous stock that when in the fridge is jelly. So that gel, that glue becomes the glue that closes the tight junctions. So we talked about the holes of leaky gut, which are permeated in our modern world because of a list of toxins, processed food, sugar, alcohol, medications. And when we start to consume meat stock, we can close the holes of leaky gut. But not just that, meat stock is the foundational healer for collagen in our bodies. So collagen is the most ubiquitous protein in the body. It helps us stand up straight. And so when we give our bodies bioavailable collagen, we start to renew our tissues. And that's very important because collagen is a 
a magnet for toxicity. So in order to heal diseases of toxicity, which is most chronic modern symptoms, we must address collagen. And we have to do this in a way that the body can assimilate the easiest, and that comes from meat stock. So it can be made from chicken, pork, any wild game, fish, beef, and other ruminant animals. But you always need the collagenous and the gelatinous parts. So that means a fin or a head or an ear or a foot or a hoof. You know, like those are the pieces that are going to make your broth gel and it's actually stock. So your stock gels and it's different from bone broth because you're always starting from a raw meat in a bone and it's not leftover. You're, you're starting from the beginning, making this stock. It's much more rich. It's much more nutrient dense. It's much more fatty. And that is what your body needs to heal. Bone broth is a part of a regenerative kitchen. It's great. But when you long cook bones for 72 hours, this changes the amino acid profile. Amino acids are broken down proteins, and that's what we're using to heal. Those are like building blocks. Those are Legos in our body's city of health. <laughs> and when you cook that long cooked bone broth and your gut is not healed, those amino acids can actually become excitatory. So what that means is that they can impact the brain in a negative way. They can make you feel like off and spaced out and a lot of uncomfortable activity in the brain. This is like excitotoxins are those like food additives, like MSG, right? And so people are actually sometimes making that in our bone broth and then feeling terrible, like eating bone broth and being like, I don't like that. It does not feel good for me at all. And that's a sign that you need to go with meat stock. So mm. I like to differentiate that for people because broths have become really popular and for good reason. And bone broth can be a part of a regenerative kitchen. But the place to start for healing the gut is meat stock. And meat stock is also the first food that I introduced to my child after breast milk. Mm. Mm. I love how you explain that. And I love that you took that moment to also explain the, the, the gut brain connection. And it makes sense that the gut to a certain degree is the first brain. If we think about gut feeling, right? How we often feel the truth in our yeah. bellies, right? Intuition. All of those things, how the body usually comes before the brain, and we see this in children as well, right? They develop cognitively after they develop physically. So we have this tendency in the Western world to think, oh, intellect first, brain first, cognitive, you know, cognition, it's, it's what rules everything. And this unfortunate bag of meat and bones and, you know, right. and oh, the female body, let's not even go into that with all of, all the sins, right? That comes after because uh, the brain, the brain knows it all, the intellect knows it all, and we're learning and more and more and understanding, right? When we're opening up to this, that it probably isn't so, and there's maybe we don't need to even put hierarchy first or second or whatever. It doesn't really matter, but the, the interconnectedness, the importance of that in interconnectedness. So, thank mm -hmm. you for explaining meat stock, what that is, and the difference between meat stock and bone broth, why that matters, and. Would you say anyone benefits from drinking meat stock, even if you don't have any symptoms or issues at all? It's like, it's just soul food yeah. in general. Well, if you have no issues at all, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that person? <laughs> yeah, no, um, meat stock is incredible because it's not just good for healing. It's also so delicious. So it's the foundation yeah. for every single soup that I make, every sauce, gravies. I make it into a jelly for my son. Like it's so gelatinous that it is resembling jello. And when I make it with just chicken feet and no salt, I can actually put fresh, fresh juice in there or pumpkin and make a little gelatin, 
you know, candy, so to speak, candy in quotes for him. And that's another fun way to make use of this really healing and nourishing food. So yes, meat stock for all. Yeah. And what that brought up for me and when I, you know, when I started doing this, I, I had to, in a different way than I'd been cooking before, I had to touch meat, touch like bones and like you say, I, I actually couldn't source um, chicken feet here uh, locally, which is such a shame. They, they just don't sell it. Um, you can't find it, but like oxtail and touching and cutting and really working with different cuts and different pieces, head, like all of that stuff. And for me, it was, it was, it was bringing up stuff. It, mm-hmm. I, I have to say it brought up stuff, right? And also to quite a large quantity right? Because you need quite the quantity. And especially if you're going to feed a household and it's not just, you know, when you go to the the store and you buy a neatly packaged, like uh, minced meat, it's quite the sterile experience. But here it was really, I, I felt I got more involved. I got closer to the animal in a way. And I got closer to the, the reality of the fact that I am, you know, I'm, I'm literally eating this this living being that is not living anymore, but I'm doing it because I am cherishing my own living experience. And you talk a lot about liver and foods that contain a lot of nutritional value, meat, right? Meat and fat, cholesterol, all these traditional foods that have become a little bit dirty in today's mm. society where there is a lot of conflicting narratives between meat and and going carnivore and vegetarian and veganism and all of this stuff. And it's such a huge topic, but what do you have to say on that? Yeah. So when I come, okay. <laughs> I love meat. Yeah, <laughs> meat. Me too. Um, I've actually always loved meat. I've loved touching meat. I've always had a fascination. Like I remember watching my grandmother with chicken, my mother cut meat. Like I just I loved that sort of handling and I don't really know what that is. It's just like maybe just texture and connection and like doing things with our hands. It's so womanly and it's about nourishment in the end, right? So I always recommend people source as highest quality meat as they can. And I would never tell someone to not eat meat because they can't get pasture raised. The reason why pasture raised matters is because this is a species appropriate diet. What that means is that for the physiology of that animal, they need certain foods in order to be healthy. So a cow, a sheep, anything ruminant, they eat grass and sometimes other greenery. This keeps them healthy. When they go off of that species appropriate diet, they start to become sick and then they become sick and that requires other types of interventions. But miraculously, humans and animals have detoxification systems. So even if that animal is subjected to living conditions that aren't high quality, that are low quality, actually, that animal still has the ability to detoxify to a certain degree. So it's always the goal to source as well as you can. Local food is better for the entire world. It's better for the planet. It's better for your local system because it keeps money close to you and it supports the people who are doing the work of the agriculture and the farming around you, which is so sustainable for a community. In fact, who are we without contact with our agriculture and our farmers? 
And if you're a mom and you're trying to heal and you don't have all those systems in place right now, and you're used to buying this grocery store food, you can start there as well. And that is absolutely wonderful. (laughs) So I would never tell a mother or a family to stop eating meat because they can't source it the way that they, the way that's ideal. And as you continue on the journey, keep working towards buying a a higher and higher quality. Just like I was mentioning with the species-specific diets for the animals, humans also have a species-specific diet. Even though we have a lot of denying of this in our modern world, the best way that we can understand what humans are supposed to eat is if we look slightly down our digestive cascade. So we chew our brain and our nervous system starts our digestion. We must be in a rest and digest state. We must be relaxed. We can't be stressed. So eating on the go, you're not optimally digesting, standing up while eating, eating in front of a screen, all of that's disrupting your nervous system state and your digestion. We chew in our mouth. So we have these teeth that help us to break down food. And we also have, a so that's a mechanical breakdown. And we have a chemical breakdown as well in our mouth, their saliva and most carbohydrate enzymes happen in the mouth. So we really need to chew carbohydrates in order to properly digest them. Swallow the food and it goes into a big bowl of acid. This is your stomach. This is very high up in the digestive cascade. What is that big bowl of stomach acid good for? Breaking down proteins, okay? So that is a direct line into our species, a specific diet showing us through our physiology, what we can digest, our flesh, our fat, It is the most akin to animal fat and animal proteins. And so that helps our bodies to rebuild and to heal. You need building blocks to heal your body. To detoxify, you need building blocks. No one talks about that. No one, everyone's talking detox, cleanse, cleanse, cleanse. It's actually detox, nourish, nourish, nourish. Build, build, build. Because if the body doesn't feel safe, it's not going to let go of things that have been likely in your system for decades. So we rebuild, we focus on the nourishing meats and fats, and that helps the body that creates an environment for the body to just do what it needs to do. And that's why I say no nonsense nutrition, because it's not like all of these esoteric type of ingredients that we're using for specialized detox. It's like, no, we're using meat and bones and water and salt. We're cooking that down. We're using local and seasonal foods, invoking flavor out of the foods just very minimally because they already have so much flavor because we've bought them by the farmer two miles away from us, right? So it's really about real food cooked properly in a way that supports the body's ability to do what it always can do, which is heal and walk towards vitality and life and you know everything that we want as humans, peace, harmony, fun, joy, that can come from a healthy body, which needs the right foods to heal. I told you before we started recording that I'm this oxytocin walking bubble <laughs> at 33 weeks pregnant, but I'm literally sitting here just like flowing in oxytocin hearing you say that. Cause I'm like, yes, I want to eat all the meat. Yes. I want to <laughs> eat all the fat. Mm-hmm, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I just love the fat. And when I see my four-year-old son, chew on ribs and bones like it's like he's never done anything different in his life and he's sucking the bone marrow out of that bone and he says this is delicious mama I'm like you're on to something kiddo totally <laughs> like this is instinct right um, yeah and then and then we can choose to not eat meat for political or ethical reasons but if we boil it down to like basic health and I love how you gave us that little anatomy slash biology slash history lesson in looking at how our digestive 
system actually works and that giving us the clue of what we need as a species to eat. I think it just takes all of the mumbo jumbo and politics and ethics out of it. And then you can choose, do you want to negate your own health for the well-being of, I don't know, animals that you don't know? Or do you sacrifice your own health? And a lot of women, a lot of vegan women are very self-sacrificing, right? (laughs) It's all about strict and rules. And I mean, I'm generalizing, but I see this pattern in these good girls, right? They're so good that they're even going to like, you know, control everything and be so good for the planet. And a lot of people eat meat and feel so, so, so guilty because we've been bombarded with these messages that meat is so bad for the environment and we don't need it and it's not the ethical thing to do. But what we're doing is we're sacrificing our own health. And is that an ethical thing to do? I wonder. I think not. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that we can do in our life and our lifestyle to clean up and to do better for the planet before we eliminate meat. And like, also it's a myth. I mean, it is a myth. Yes, we do need to take care of the issue of feedlots, but the earth has a carrying capacity and it's not all about cows. It's just really not. And they have done a serious number on us to brainwash us to believe that eating meat is dangerous for the planet. It's the same thing that happened with recycling. Recycling was created by industries that wanted to sell more Coca-Cola and Pepsi. And so they created the system that would have humans feel or citizens feel responsible for recycling the plastic bottles that they put into the industry. It's a very addictive beverage and they put the Otis on us to be responsible for the waste that it creates, right? But with meat, the best thing that we can do is eat nose to tail The best thing that we can do is find a local source of meat, find the farmer who is creating an ecosystem and regenerating the earth through their farming practices and eat that meat, love that meat, cook that meat for your family and for your children. We don't need to sacrifice ourselves. Like we don't need to be on the altar of saving the planet and sacrificing our own body for that. Like why would we bypass our own health for like some idea that, isn't even really attainable. Like it's, hmm. it, it's just like this thing that we're constantly chasing. And really the solution is coming from a local system and a local community, not, not people eating plant-based factory grown lab grown meat. Like that just doesn't even make sense. Yeah. It makes no sense. And it doesn't make sense in your taste buds either, because when you put that <laughs> that grilled fat in your mouth and it melts and you're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're like, this is life. And sharing that good food with family around the table and everyone's full and leaning back afterwards <laughs> and opening their, you know, unbuttoning the pants and the kid is like dozing off and you're like, yes. This is life. This is this is life. This is nourishment on so many levels. So I've heard you talk about also the connection between like issues in the in the vagina, like yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, and just you talked about the gut creating hormones. We've talked about the health benefits of meat and fats and all of this. So how do you see this impacting women's health specifically? So you mentioned you help women prepare for conception, pregnancy postpartum. 
what do you want to say on that topic? And what do yeah. you see in, in the women that you work with and your clients and the health benefits of applying such a diet, drinking meat stock regularly? What can a woman expect in terms of the positive benefits? Yeah. Well, so this is great because it's allowing us to circle back to that second part of what makes our gut healthy. And it's the microbiome. So we have a microbiome all over our bodies. We have a large resident microbiome in our guts, but we also have microbiome in every vital organ in our blood, on our skin and on our vagina and our vulva, on our placenta, on our uterus. So there's a microbiome everywhere. The microbiome of the vaginal canal is largely ruled by lactobacillus. So this is a beneficial probiotic strain. And lactobacillus is created, uh, it's on living, it's on plants, it's on vegetables. And so we can actually make for ourselves a lacto-fermented food, meaning creating an environment where lactobacillus can grow and proliferate and consume that food and increase the amount of lactobacillus in our gut and therefore in our vagina. So what heals the woman's vagina heals the woman's gut. What heals the gut heals the vagina. And the reason why these microbes are really important is because they actually keep the pH of the vaginal lining and the vulva at a, around 4.7. And that is the proper pH to keep bacteria at bay. So when it drops or raises, when the pH raises, that's a warmer environment for other bacteria to come in and take hold. So that's why when we have a degradation of the microbiome, yeast infections come about, BV comes about. And in order to support that, we need to increase the amount of lactobacillus that we are consuming daily. And so this would come from your homemade fermented foods, vegetable lacto-fermentation, or dairy like yogurt, kefir. Kefir is an excellent one for yeast because it has beneficial strains of bacteria and yeast. And so we want to slowly introduce more beneficial microbes to the system so that it becomes a protective measure for us. It helps us to eat away at toxins and it helps us assimilate nutrients. So let's go back to that point. When we are consuming this nourishing food for ourselves, we need the microbiome to be intact. And actually in the large intestine, that's where most of our vegetable digestion occurs. So just back to that vegan vegetarian thing, the last part of our digestive cascade is where we assimilate our vegetable nutrients. So that means that if your gut is overgrown, all that fiber is just becoming the fodder in the food for those pathogenic microbes. So that's why problems can happen. Now, I don't in any way want to like demonize a certain kind of food because there's already, there's so much out there with diet culture and it's really easy for us as women to get into a place of like, oh, I can't have that. And I can't have that. And I can't have that. And so a really simple way of thinking about this is that plant matter is cleansing mostly and animal food is building mostly. It's kind of like the yin and yang symbol. So there's a little bit of each and both, but we need a balance of foods in our diet. There can be certain times where leaning into meats are really, really building and helpful for you. Other times you lean into cleansing. This often correlates with seasonal eating, right? Like summertime, you're eating more vegetables, you're eating more salads. Wintertime, you're eating more roots, you're eating more meats and stews and soups. So I don't want to say that one food is like, bad and you shouldn't eat it, but it does really help to understand how our body works in order to optimize your protocol or your diet at the time so that you can feel better. That's why we're doing this. I mean, you know, like there's so much out there like, oh, like no restriction. Like I'm not really restricting myself. I'm 
setting up a success path for me so that I can feel better because I want to feel better in my body. And I know that I can. So back to the BV and the gut flora piece. There's another element, which is that our endocrine system is, so that's our glands and organs like our thyroid gland, our adrenals, our ovaries. Those are very sensitive organs. They're very sensitive to toxicity. And so we have a very toxic world and those organs are very susceptible. That's why we have a lot of chronic diseases around the thyroid or chronic fatigue with the adrenals. We have an overgrowth of pathogens, which impacts that. But more than that, we actually can't assimilate the nutrients that those organs need. They're very delicate organs. The gut flora is, has a specialized job of creating hormones specifically for those organs. So when the gut flora is imbalanced, that's when we start to see problems and breakdowns in these other systems and organ systems. The gut flora could be considered an endocrine organ in and of itself. And it's very important for clearing toxins, creating neurotransmitters, and hormones that support those organs and assimilating nutrients so that those organs can function optimally. Mm. Mm, there's so much beautiful wisdom. And I love how you balance that and say, it's not about making it right or wrong. There's the yin and yang in food between vegetables and meat. Sometimes we can pendulate towards one if we need the cleansing and then the other one, if we need the building. And I love how clear and easy you make it because it can get really complicated and it doesn't have to be so complicated. We don't have to make it so complicated in order for it to benefit us. And, uh, and thank you for explaining that gut-vagina relationship. I see this quite a lot in my work, people, women experiencing recurring yeast infections and bacterial vaginosis. And, I, and there's that, like, that biochemical component that you just right. talked about, right? And then there's the energetic and the emotional component as well. Sometimes our body speaks in ways we don't understand when we don't hold boundaries, you know, you yeah, create totally. a boundary create for a us. barrier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So sometimes yeast, I've recorded a podcast episode on this. It's going to release at some point. Maybe it's already released when this goes live, actually. But so, so we can look at the energetic and the emotional component, but there's also this very, very profound and very real and tangible biochemical component and food and how that impacts the entire body and system. And I, I followed a holistic health practitioner. Uh, she talks a lot about the menstrual cycle, natural fertility, awareness methods. And she talks about getting off caffeine and mm -hmm. eating meats and fats to increase your chances of conception and improving your fertility just how important that is. And I'm hearing in your words as well and what you share about just how important meat and fats and those kinds of nutrients are for us to build. And fertility is really about building, right? Yeah. <laughs> like the, the yeah. construction, totally. the creation. So it makes sense if you're building blocks, if you're Legos, if you're depleted in that way, your body's not going to feel safe. Like you said, it's about creating safety within the body, body through through food and, and nutrients and nu nutritious foods, there's not safety where the body will say, no, I am malnourished or no, I'm not getting the building blocks. I'm not going to prioritize a pregnancy here. I'm not going to ovulate properly because I'm at a deficit. And yes. if I'm at a deficit, I cannot build a baby because that is such an abundance of energy and resources that goes into creating life. And you're nodding agree in agreement. Yes. Is there yes. anything you want to add to that? How women can think about 
their cycle and conception and, and, or if you just want to expand on that. Yeah. Well, in the second part of our cycle, when progesterone is ruling and preparing the body for pregnancy, this suppresses our immunity, which also suppresses the beneficial gut flora. And so a lot of times PMS symptoms are opportunistic or pathogenic microbes kind of wreaking havoc because the immune system is suppressed for this egg to take hold. Right. And that's really interesting. That's how I often will talk about PMS symptoms for people. So it really also is a gut flora. I mean, the gut flora is just so incredible with all of its specialized jobs. We haven't even scratched the surface really, like in terms of research, I've experienced this through my own body. And I come from a lineage of work um, created by Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, who founded the GAPS diet and the GAPS practitioner. So I learned this through her research and her development over the past 20 years. But it's just so powerful. The more that we tune into our guts, giving our bodies healing fats and nourishing foods, and also letting the microbiome do what it needs to do because it's balanced and healthy. This is so powerful and profound on levels I think we don't even really understand. So when it comes to preparing for pregnancy, if you have the luxury of a window of time, I am all for preparing. So that means physically preparing, emotionally preparing, spiritually preparing. In the physical aspect, I teach a lot about how to do enemas. So this is appropriate, safe way to get old fecal matter out of the digestive tract, support the liver. Because the liver, so one of the reasons why people feel nauseous, mothers feel nauseous in pregnancy is because the liver basically can't detoxify. There's a surge of hormones that come in our pregnancy, and it's just a lot for the liver to manage, especially if the liver's already backed up, which is very common. So the more that you can clear out your liver and support your liver health, I'll tell you how in a moment, the better that you'll feel during your pregnancy. And also like, this extreme building in the first trimester, it's really hard to eat for a lot of women in the first trimester. And it's also when the gut brain connection is being formed in the baby, like you're building something from nothing at that point in the first trimester, it gets easier second and third, because you're growing something bigger, rather than growing something from nothing, right. And so if you have those nutrient stores from prepping during your pregnancy, it's okay if you can't eat anything but baguette and butter, um, (laughs) you know, during your first trimester, like I had the weirdest cravings come up even after preparing for my body for pregnancy. So it's like, yeah, we want to get those nutrient stores filled up, topped up as much as possible so that the body can have them to grow a healthy baby. And if you didn't have that luxury, hopefully you're, you're feeling good in your pregnancy. If you need to be nauseous and throw up, do that because it's actually helping your body get rid of and get out things that don't need to be there. And then in your third trimester and and maybe your second, the more you can eat, the better. Focus on those nutrient-dense foods, warming foods, building foods, and into your postpartum, really use that time, that golden window to heal because it can have such a big influence on the span of your life. And get your partners involved. Men need to be detoxifying as well. Men need to be building and they need to be making healthy sperm and their microbiomes need to be robust and healthy. It's not just on us. And it's way too much like centered around what the woman has to do. And a lot of times I think it's the men mm. Mm. need to clean it up <laughs> yeah. Quit that coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quit the coffee. I, I never realized like what poison caffeine was until I stopped drinking it. And now I became like sober and then now I drink it every now and then, and I have a pretty yeah. healthy relationship with it. 
I don't know what you think about Joe Rogan and it doesn't really matter, but there was this very interesting episode with Joe Rogan uh, where he interviewed a person on the history of caffeine. And he's like, this person just said, basically, we're living in a caffeinated society, which we've never really done before. And it's insane, right? Anyways, that's a a drug for sure. Sugar is a a drug. drug. I mean, I'm a matcha girl myself. So like, I like the caffeine. It's just, I think moderation, if you are having trouble conceiving and you're drinking a cup of coffee every day, cut it because it's putting your adrenals and your hormone system in a different state than you need for conception. Yeah. So caffeine is, it's a pretty easy one to go. I, I'm like you, I occasionally have a latte, but very Mm. rare. And I I like matcha. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting to get to know myself without caffeine. (laughs) Uh uh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What were you going to say? I was just going to say that like when, so my husband, he's on board, he like gets it. I don't have to really convince him. You know, he went to school himself for nutrition, but like the second I got pregnant, he was like, okay, coffee and beer for me, you know? And I'm just like, all right. (laughs) Permission slip. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's like, we're done with that. But no, he's doing, he's getting his body. Got the good sperm. Now let me (laughs) fuck up the rest. (laughs) Let me enjoy myself. I just said, okay, but you know, for baby number two, you're going to have to start again. So he, so yeah. he is, he's already, he's, he's already been talking about baby number two. He's like, yay. Getting already, so thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm not pregnant though. And I'm not yet, <laughs> but still just that the conversation is yeah. always wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we've, we've covered so many amazing things and I feel like I could continue. Well, I would like to continue talking to you forever and go down every rabbit hole and pick your brain on all of these things, but that's what your courses are for, right? That's where we go to you for deeper wisdom, guidance, tools, recipes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I do want to ask you something though. You mentioned in an email to me about aphrodisiacs and because this is a sex sexuality (laughs) podcast, can we just quickly touch on that? Totally. Well, my favorite one is oysters. Mm -hmm. And I looked into like why oysters around Valentine's Day. I was like, why are oysters aphrodisiacs? And I had an inkling. So my first instinct is that oysters are very high in zinc and zinc is a very important food for sperm health. And so it's like, okay, that makes sense. And also like the look of them, they kind of are sperm-like. Sorry if that grosses you out. I think they look like pussies. (laughs) Yeah, they do. I mean, totally. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, they look like pussies taste like sperm, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so, perfect. It's a genital, basically, yeah. like all genitals in, in one package. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so salty. They can be sweet. Like they can change flavor depending on the season, depending on the type of oyster. They're just, it's an alive food. And like, it's also kind of thrilling, right? To crack your oysters and slurp them back. And you, you have like, you're, it's literally alive. So swallowing something like that is, is similar to swallowing genital fluids because they're also alive and there's active components and compounds. And so I think that's the like most sexy, they're just so good. And they're so good for us. I try to eat oysters once a week. The bivalves for women's health are also excellent. Like they've kind of become more famous for men, but they're so good for women too. And so the more that you can eat fresh oysters, the better sex you'll have, the healthier baby you'll have, the better you'll feel, more energy. Like it's just such a fun, 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 fun food. And like, I'm like, is there another one? I guess chocolate's kind of thought of as like an aphrodisiac. What are some that come to mind for you? I would say in in general, like feeling full, 
right? Like a feeling of not overly full where you're like, oh my God, I'm comatose. But, and I'm not a food expert, so I'm probably saying the, the stupid thing now, but like an experience of just being well-fed and not hungry sets you up for an experience of like, I get to thrive, right? I'm not in this survival mode and mm. I'm eating and I'm filling myself up and there's some jiggle and there's some fat and there's mm -hmm. like, I'm okay with all of this and I'm okay with my subcutaneous fat. Like for me, it's like an experience where food is almost like a gateway to feeling good in and about myself and feeling well-nourished on a, on a basic or like a foundational level. and not being afraid of the female form. Like I know, and this brings us into a kind of different track. It's not really about the aphrodisiacs. It also comes back to all of this around not being afraid of food, not being afraid of filling mm -hmm. ourselves, not being afraid of eating, not being afraid of fullness. And of, of course, you know, there's an epidemic of obesity and unhealthy, but that's also because of the type of food, not necessarily the amount of food. If we ate the right amount of food and really felt full and satiated, then we wouldn't have to perhaps have these sugar addictions and cravings and all of, all of that. But even if, you know, regardless of that, like that experience of like feeling like, and I especially feel connected to this now that I'm so pregnant where my body's like abundant and my boobs are big and luscious and my ass is big and juicy. And my husband's like, oh, you're the sexy fertility goddess. And like, I love you. You're so sexy and I'm so pregnant. And it's just like, ah, you know, like that yeah. for me is also a kind of aphrodisiac on a mental, on a mind, body kind of spirit level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And that inspires a few more. Like, I mean, juiciness, like when I think of like a sexy food, oysters, yes, chocolates and yes. And also like pomegranate right? Mm -hmm. Just like bursting anything like juicy opening. And, and then that makes me think of like antioxidant rich food. So all the colors that's going to be, you know, the rich color from like turmeric or, you know, that that's just going to be vibrancy and also supportive of our sexual health, because that would be in the category of like cleansing foods, antioxidants, polyphenols, all that's really supportive. So even something like dates and olive oil, like delicious. And then there's this other part, which is building foods, the cholesterol, the fats, like those, the cholesterol are the building blocks for our hormones, stress hormones and sex hormones. So if you don't have enough cholesterol, sex is just not going to be at the top of your list because you don't have literally the building blocks for those hormones to get turned on, you know? So if you haven't checked that box yet in your, in your journey on, you know, your fullest expression of your sexual health, you might want to look into how much cholesterol am I consuming daily? And that can come from things like egg yolks, fish roe, animal fats like lard or red meats and seafood. Mm. Mm. You made me eat so many more eggs per day. I <laughs> Yes. I'm That's eating good. so many eggs now. Good. I good, am good, good. Choline love, is love, amazing for your love, baby's love, brain. Loving this. Yes. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, pomegranates, very big in Persian food again. Yeah. And yeah. I heard uh, saffron is apparently this mm. amazing antidepressant that has the same mm -hmm. effects as like SSRIs. Mm. Obviously, saffron is totally insanely expensive. But um, you just need a small amount. But you need a small amount. and Small amount. And it's so good. So good. If you can give yourself a little luxury present of some saffron to add to your stews, 
I mean, I'm all about buying expensive food items when I can. Like I, we keep it like family and affordable, but then it's like fancy salts, olive oils. That's one of my pleasures in life. I love to buy beautiful worldly food items. That's like why we travel. That's why we cook. So we can ingest the flavors from around the world. So I'm all for buying specialty food items for your health. And just think of it like a supplement. Yeah. You know, think about the lifetime of, of stress and money you'll save by feeling really good today in your body. Yes. Hell yes. All right. I think I, I want to honor your time. I need to honor my own. We will need to wrap this up, uh, but this was amazing. Is there anything you feel we didn't say that you're just dying to say that you, that needs to be said? I think I would just say that for babies, they need this food too. They need food that's going to mimic their, the breast milk. Breast milk has a special enzyme, which helps baby to digest every bit of cholesterol that's contained in the milk. And so that shows us another gift from our physiology that shows us how important these nourishing fats for our, for us are. So for our children, for our children's well-being, behavior, peace, and feeling good in their body for their immune system, they need these nourishing fats and foods too. And let it be a journey for yourself as a mother and as a woman to see how you can nurture yourself and your children through beautiful nourishing foods. And it's a whole world out there. Yeah. And for, I love that. And for me, it was a big identity shift, right? To come home and to accept the identity of being a mother and like accepting and coming home to and welcoming myself in the kitchen, which I always kind of resented and ran away from for personal, like I was not a homely person. I loved traveling. I worked in restaurants, blah, blah, blah. Like I was out and about, but also for feminist, some feminist like ideals that kind of fuck with my brain around this yeah. is not, you know. So for me, that was that this has also been a very profound journey also on an identity level and almost like a spiritual well, a spiritual journey as well of mothering and coming home to these things. So it's nourishing on so many layers in my unique human experience. And I love how you talk about this being such a, a gift that you can give to your children and you teach this in your work. So please mention a little bit about where people can find you and the offerings that you have available. Yeah. So I have online courses where I teach gut healing and how to cook the foods that will heal your gut. And I am currently offering my mama baby biome course, which is all about the microbiome of the home, the shared microbiome between the mother and baby, how to introduce solid foods to baby. And you can find me on wild nutritionist on Instagram or at my website, regenerativecookingschool.com. Fantastic. And as you've heard, Kate is a bottomless well of wisdom and she's gone down the rabbit holes and all the She's nerded out on this stuff. She's the real deal. Totally. She knows what she's talking about. And I find you super inspiring and, and so relatable and so real. And thank you for everything you've shared on, on, well, in this conversation today and for being here, for doing the work that you do. My pleasure. Thanks, Erica, so much. Yay. Okay, my friend, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something new today or that I reminded you of something you already knew or do and that you feel inspired and encouraged to prioritize sex, pleasure, and orgasms in your busy life. If you love this podcast, please share it with your friends and give it a rating or review so this important message can reach more people on this planet. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you next time.